Welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech each week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh77. We've got three hosts this week. I'm Leo Notenboom, lover of corgis, coffees, and coffees, and computers. <laughs> Multiple coffees, actually. It's, it, it makes sense. Um, and the Leo in askleo.com. I'm Kevin Savitz, sender of 75 quadrillion faxes. <laughs> and I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer of MacMost.com. And uh, I, I make games and websites and other stuff, too. So what have we been up to the last couple of weeks, Kevin? Mm -hmm. no. uh, so I had a question for you guys, actually. Yeah. Um, I've been, I've been as, I am, am I, as I am wont to do, I have been scanning things or having them scanned and then uploading them to the Internet Archive. And uh, I was recently, I was mentioned somewhere in an article about my computer history activities and uh, someone reached out to me and he said he was involved with a couple of computer newsletters in the 90s, uh, 80s, actually 80s and 90s, and would I be interested in, in scanning them? And some of them were super rare and didn't have a lot of issues published. And I said, sure. So he sent me the stuff and uh, had it scanned and uploaded to Internet Archive. Now, one of them was called uh, Semaphore Signal, which was uh, it started off as an Apple Lisa newsletter in 1983 huh. and then slowly transitioned to become a, a Macintosh and Lisa newsletter. And then they finally dropped the Lisa and just became a Macintosh newsletter, which seemed like the way to go. Yeah. So um, uh, I scanned, I don't know, 24 of the, those issues and, and put them online. And that, that, those are a fun read if you're into you know, old Lisa's and, and Macs. Um, the other thing he sent me was a, uh, a publication called Pragma, and then it renamed to Pragma's product profiles. And this was like 37 issues of this newsletter for users of the PIC operating system. And I had never heard of the PIC operating system. And, you know, I consider myself someone who knows about um, a lot of old machines. And I, I had to Google this one and look it up on Wikipedia. And my question for you is, is are you guys familiar at all with the PIC operating system? I've never heard of it. Huh. The name, the name is it. familiar, but I'd be hard-pressed to uh, to be able to identify it or have any context on it. Yeah, hmm. I'm looking at your scans right now, and it uh, looks interesting. What hey, did oh, it run on? Well, it, it, it says, uh, Wikipedia says it is a demand-paged, multi-user, virtual memory, time-sharing computer system based around a unique multi-value database. Uh, PIC was primarily used for business data processing. Uh, it's named after one of the developers, Dick Pick. Which, <laughs> just telling you what the Wikipedia says. Uh, so, I mean, it seemed like it was a fairly popular business system. And, you know, okay, I, I was a kid. I wasn't using business computers in this era, but I just never heard of this thing. And also, I mean, just reading this, I wasn't sure what, a multi-value demand page database was, and I don't know. So I was, I was frankly, Leo was hoping you would explain what what uh, the system was to me, but you haven't heard of it either. So what's the era? Uh, early eighties. So 
It's possible, like I said, I, I don't know anything about it, but it's possible that the familiarity, I, I kind of sort of feel for the name, is... Um, so Phil, the 80s. I feel uh, for Dick Pick, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, uh, back in the early eighties before Microsoft and my first job, we had a, a data entry terminal that was CPM based and we were investigating, uh, multi-user alternatives, you know, multi-user operating systems for the thing. Mm-hmm. And so at that point it was, you know, CPM and that was followed on by MPM, which nobody's probably heard about, but it was the multi-user version of CPM. And, uh, it's very possible that I ran across it then if it was in fact a, a low, uh, you know, some kind of. I don't know, multi-user operating system of that hmm. day. All right. But well, since the initial release of this thing was originally called Girls in 1965. <laughs> what? It went from girls to dick pic. Okay. I, I'm just... <laughs> they generalized... That <laughs> sounds like a joke. I'm, the does. generalized yeah. information retrieval language system, which was running on an IBM uh, System 360. So I have to wonder if Mr. Pick is still around. <laughs> and I ask that because if he is, he's got to be really frustrated. Oh, right. <laughs> People are talking about him online. I, I, it's not one of those, it's not one of those names. How am I going to find out if he's online? I'm not actually going to yeah, really. Google that. <laughs> you don't want to Google that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I Googled it. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Anybody out there, please send me any information you have. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, don't. No, no, I don't, I'll, I'll, don't just wanna... do a, I'll just do an image search to find his face. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man, he's ugly. <laughs> oh. righty. Well, on that note. <laughs> oh, man. <coughs> well. Harry, save us, please. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, the one thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm building a new site, but this time it's not a new site for like a completely different thing. I'm building a, a site to hold my courses because I'm not happy about some changes coming up at Udemy. So, um, so that's interesting. Of course, a lot of people, a lot of people on this podcast <laughs> uh, told me I should have done this in the first place um, and uh, had my courses on my own site. Um, and I think it's it's worked out really well the last few years to have courses at Udemy, but it is time to move on. Um, and uh, hey, you know, when I if I originally built my own courses site, I would have been like, "Is this worth it? Is this going to work? Are people going to buy these courses?" It, you know, now I know that it does. You know, it's an important part of my business, so I can be confident in building the site that it's going to be useful to me. And so that's that's a nice thing. Some- some more um, exposure through Udemy. Um, yeah, and I still do. I mean, you know, a certain I bring a certain number of students for the course to Udemy, and Udemy brings a certain number of students to the course. Um, so, you know, and I'm definitely seeing that. But you know, when I launch a new course, the overwhelming majority of people buying the course there in the first few weeks are people from my newsletter and go to macmost.com and all. Um, and it looks like Udemy really isn't giving me anything. But then in the months in between, like I haven't put out a new course for a while because Apple's updating everything. It doesn't really make sense for me to come out with new courses now when Catalina is going to come out and new versions of other stuff is going to come out. So, you know, there's always this lull over the summer. But I still make money at Udemy. And most of that is people who are going to Udemy searching for a you know, a course that I happen to have. They don't know who I am. They don't know my site, but they buy it there. So there is that. And 
there's no reason I can't still put my courses at Udemy. I need to figure out how I'm going to do that. Like, definitely not going to do it the same time. You know, launch a new course, I'll launch it on my own site. And then maybe a few weeks or a month later, I'll think about putting it at Udemy. And it, it may not be the same course. What I may do is develop a kind of a lighter, simpler version of the course. You know, put those at Udemy. And since they are probably going to be uh, controlling the prices and selling them much cheaper than I would like. So it makes sense for me to say, you know, here's a, you know, Catalina Basics course at Udemy. And the Catalina Comprehensive course is at MacMost. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but, you know, that when I do my Catalina course, the end of September, when that comes out, it will, uh, the way things look now, be at my own site, not at Udemy. So another little, uh, all the stuff to learn. I love doing this because you're learning stuff. You know, I'm oh, learning yeah. how to set this up. I'm learning about, you know, uh, some e-commerce stuff. I've never done true e-commerce. It's the one corner of the internet I've never gone into much. I've sold a few PDFs and things like that, so I've dabbled a bit. But never, you know, here I'm doing the full thing with Stripe, and I hope to have Apple Pay and everything uh, there on the site. So, so cool, learning mode. The other thing uh, is uh, I got, I kind of got my Apple card today, the new credit card from Apple. Um, I don't actually have the physical card yet, but I got the invitation today. And I, uh, so I was immediately able to fill out the application, which took me like two minutes. And then as soon as you're approved, which took 10 seconds, uh, I had the card in my wallet on my iPhone and I'm able to use it with Apple Pay. And I was actually able to go out to lunch an hour later to a, a place I knew took Apple Pay <laughs> and, uh, and I used the, the card through Apple Pay. So I had my first charge on it. Um, happy to say that uh, they instantly approved me on the lowest uh, interest, you know, interest uh, amount and I believe the highest limit that there is cool because um, i know i've got good credit so I, lunch. I was <laughs> i was happy to see that they recognized i have good credit and um and you know it's nice in the in the app you know it works you know i don't need the card i was able to go and pay for it on the phone and i could do anything online i wanted to do right now like if i wanted to put it as my amazon card and order some, something from amazon i don't need the physical card for that uh it's lots of nice new features i mean uh, one of the neat things is I can, the card I'm going to get in the mail, the metal card, isn't going to have a number on it. But if I look in the wallet app on my iPhone, I can get the actual credit card number, mine, that's you know, for my card. But there's also a change button right under there. And I could just say, I want a new one. And it will change my number for me. So oh, I can continue to use that number for a while. But if I suspect foul play or something, I can just go and say, you know what, give me a new, new number. And uh, and do that on my own and instantly get one. That's a pretty um, neat feature. And also, you click, you know, each charge is there, and it had the actual name of the restaurant I went for lunch. You're not any kind of weird, you know, eight character, you know, strange thing that I had to say. Oh, what is that? You know, but it was like the real uh, name of the restaurant, the address. I clicked on it or tapped on it, and it gave me a map, showed me where it was, showed me what the amount was. Um, showed me my percentage back, which would be 2% back for that since I used Apple Pay. Um, it would only be 1% if I actually had a car, the card with me and I used it at a place that didn't accept Apple Pay. And 3% if I was using it at the Apple Store. So, um, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised they had you fill out an application. Well, I mean, the application was so short. It was my name. I didn't even have to give my full social security number. 
Just the they last four digits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's Apple. Even the stuff you haven't given them, they already know. Uh, you know, they asked me to confirm my address. They had it. They asked me to confirm it. People do have multiple addresses, right? You know, so, uh, you know, they asked me to confirm the address. Uh, there was my name. There was uh, last four of my social. I had to agree to a couple things, right? You know, cardholder agreement, things like that. And that was pretty much it. And there wasn't a lot of there wasn't any more data. I can't think of any other thing. Oh, they asked me one question, and it was, what's my estimated annual income? And it even said on there, this is for Goldman Sachs. So Apple even wanted to be like, hey, we don't care. <laughs> but Goldman Sachs, <laughs> no, 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 this, they, they we already want this one. We want this one piece of information. I wrote a, uh, a piece for are my- you, Are you iMac level or, or Mac Pro level? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I uh, I actually wrote a piece about Apple Card a few days ago uh, while I was still waiting. Um, my theory with the card is that what makes it, what might make it fundamentally different <coughs> is that Apple has a genuine interest as a corporation of ha- of you having less debt because they want you walking into the Apple store and saying, "Yeah, I could afford that new iPad or the MacBook." or get a new iPhone the week it comes out. They don't want you walking in and saying, oh, I'm $5,000 underwater on my credit card. I won't get this now, right? Apple will make more money if people have less on their less debt on their credit cards, which is interesting because most of the time, <laughs> credit card companies have no interest in that. They want you to have as much debt as possible on your card, so you're paying as much interest as possible. So... So, you know, maybe it's a good idea to have a, a company interested in you being, uh, you know, having lots of money to spend on things. Financially responsible. Yeah. So yeah. Should, I, should I be insulted that I haven't gotten an invite? You have to uh, fill out a form. There's, there was the whole thing. There's just a little page you go to and you just say, I am interested. You give them your email address. Say, I am interested in the Apple card. And I did that when they first announced it. And that's why I got my little email so that's all you need to do <laughs> so i don't know what the url is at the moment but sure it's, i think it's pretty easy to find out i think you just if you just google apple card i think it's what comes up right right yeah just be curious to see if it if it has any value at all uh if you don't actually have an iphone yeah i think i think most of the value is if you have an iphone because it works with the wallet app matter of fact i had to apply for it that that form i'm talking about that was not a web form that was in the wallet app Oh. I was in the app. All that stuff's in the wallet app. I don't, I don't think it's – I think it would be very difficult to have the card without having an iPhone. Interesting. It's like a, like it works in that wallet app, and you know, that's where you get all your information. That's where you get customer support too. You know, just, it's just a messaging thing. I could just have clicked a little, like, I have a question, and somebody would have messaged me right there on inside the, the app and said, what can I help you with? Interesting. So, yeah. So, yeah, no, I don't think you – you can't. You probably should not try to get this card if you do not have an iPhone. It doesn't make sense, and you need the latest iOS. So I, you know, I have to have twelve point four, which just came out, because um, that has the, the software in there for for doing this. Well, I'm not getting an iPhone just so I can have another credit card. No, no, I don't think there's. But you any can use your credit reason. card to buy an iPhone. <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> a, a chicken and egg situation. It is. It is. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. If you want that three percent back on on your first iPhone, that's going to be really a difficult, uh, <laughs> difficult well, thing men- to do. You mentioned Gary uh, using uh, getting your technical support in the app, yeah. and uh, something. Re- this relates to something recently that, that happened in, in in my family. My my wife booked a hotel, and and she wanted uh, 
late check-in. She wanted to make sure her room was not given away uh, because she would be there late. And she did her her customer service communication with this hotel in WhatsApp. And Hmm. normally this is the kind of thing that I would avoid. I don't want to do chat systems in order to deal with customer service. I, I, in the times I have done them and maybe I'm sure this hotel was fine, but when times I have done them, it's really, it seems really slow. And sometimes it seems like the support representative is helping 20 people at once. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it just, it just takes forever. And it's been a not, not a good anyway, but she did a, a chat thing with, with this hotel and she said, I want, you know, late check-in, don't give away my room. And they said, oh, absolutely not. We promised. And then, some days pass and she gets to the hotel and she gets there for her late check-in and the room has been given away. And she just pulled up her WhatsApp and she was able to show the conversation. And she had a log of this, this thing where they promised up and down this this wouldn't happen. And then they were very apologetic and you know, she, she got a partial refund and, and they made it right. But anyway, I suddenly like saw like the, the, the light on why one would want to have customer support in chat because you get a log of, <laughs> of that. It's funny. I was, I was actually, I don't know what the, what the article I was writing on, but Oh yeah. It's, it's one of those articles that says, you know, why do, why do people um, think that a telephone is more secure than uh, digital communications mm-hmm. and, you know, long hairy answer for that. But one of the interesting things is uh, attorneys, they very much prefer uh, voice communication specifically because they don't have a lock. It's not something that's discoverable. Uh, in many cases, it's illegal to record a call, at least without um, either one side or in some states like Washington, both sides' permissions. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if you're doing something via any kind of a digital form like chat, uh, you know, textual-based, then like you said, you've got this wonderful log. proof. It's, easy, it's, it's funny because it's easier to fake the chat log Right, yes. yeah, but and harder to fake the phone call. <laughs> so you would think it would be the opposite, but you're right. Yes, I, but that has nothing to do with it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, well, I mean, Kevin, you had a, you mentioned that you, you know sometimes when you're doing online support, like message back and forth support, you feel like the person helping you is doing it for like 20 people, and which is probably true, but. I see it like the other way. I'm also doing other things, <laughs> you know? So like recently I had to make a change to my uh, satellite TV service. It was just stu- stupid change. I just wanted to change my uh, the package I had and it's, they make it seem like you can do that online. Oh, here it is. Just select, do this, do that. And of course the last step is a, fo- a phone call is, you know, no matter what you do online, you have to end up talking to somebody yeah. on the phone and they take all your attention and they try to sell you all the stuff and all this, you know, and everything. And it just annoyed the heck out of me because it was a big waste of my time. I had sh- done on the website exactly what I wanted and I should have hit the button and been done and moved on with my day. Instead, it was 20 minutes on the phone with somebody while they were making the change for me. Mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, come on. And yeah, I know why they do it because they can then pull, you know, a certain percentage of people are going to say, oh, no, no, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll change my mind with what you're offering or something. But still, it's, it's annoying. So how about you, Leo? Well, I had one of those interesting weekends. It was busy doing a lot of different things. And it dawned on me this morning that an interesting date had, pa- had passed me by. Saturday, August the 10th. 
was uh, the Ask Leo anniversary. Now, uh, I've been doing this, as it turns out, for 16 years now. It started in 2003. Unfortunately, apparently I didn't have enough of those coffees on board yet this morning because I actually posted it to the Ask Leo Facebook page as being only 15 years. I lost a year in there somewhere. Uh, math is hard. I even thought I did the math, you know, 20 <laughs> Off by one error. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny because it's, it's something I've been thinking of off and on for the past month or so. And then I finally did, you know, it finally did roll around and the, the month of July has been incredibly hectic for me. So I just completely passed me by, but I've had the number 15 in my mind uh, for quite some time. The, uh, but yeah, 16 years of doing this. It's, um, it's been an interesting ride, as, as you, know, you guys have, have witnessed, for sure. It reminds me of uh, a friend of mine once said that um, I was talking to him and his wife, and he said he once gave her an anniversary card that said, you know, happy 32nd anniversary. And, it was thir- and he said, it's been a wonderful 32 years. And, and then she got it, and she said, uh, well, actually, it's been 33 so I just assume one of them was not so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife and I have a running joke that we're never sure. Did I give you this card yet before? <laughs> um, in other news, so the, we were talking about this very briefly uh, before, the, before we were recording. Uh, I learned today where the phrase uppercase comes from with respect to... Uh, oh, I, kn- I know this, linotype, right? Um, essentially, yes. Or, 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 or lead, lead type lead, in, in lead cases. Type, yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, literally, so upper lowercase, I mean, you know, the difference, it's, it's a different you know style of character. Each letter has a different representation in uppercase than it does for lowercase. And if you're typing in all uppercase, it's considered shouting. And if you're tired typing in all lowercase, you're probably on, on WhatsApp. Um, but as it turns out back in the days of, of lead type, there was a case and they put the smaller letters, the lower letters in the lower part of the case, and the upper characters, the bigger characters, were in the upper part of the case, hence uppercase and lowercase. Uh, what I thought was interesting, and you know, the, the, I'm not even sure what the, the formal terminology for it would be, uh, capitalized letters, I suppose. Yeah, capital well, letters, yeah. Um, so capital letters went into the upper case, literally a case, the upper half of the case. Um, I pictured this, I got this one from a newsletter that I subscribe to called Now I Know. He uh, posts something, uh, I think once a day during the week, Fridays are a bit of a summary slash wrap up, but he just has these random interesting factoids that, and then, you know, the research and, and the information to back them up of how they, how they came to be. Um, that one just struck me as part of our our pre-show conversation. So now, cool. moving on. Yes. So this one, speaking of of getting catching my attention, um, you guys know that that I dabble in photography. Um, I happen to be a Nikon guy. Uh, that's what I shoot, and I've got lenses for. I know I uh, have friends who are Canon people, and it's the Canon people whose attention I want to get right now. There's a headline. This happens to be from thehackernews.com. Canon DSLR cameras can be hacked with ransomware remotely. <laughs> um, that just, this is just Nikon propaganda. Don't listen I'm to sure him. It is. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, it's Sony propaganda because I'm sure <laughs> Nikons will, be, will, will get hit soon. Um, 
it just it fascinates me. Somebody made a comment uh, when I posted this on the Ask Leo page that um, this is you know one of the ongoing risks of essentially the Internet of Things because ultimately your camera now is another thing on the Internet. And heck, you know, you know, modern cameras, right? They're full-fledged mini computers. And that, you know, that, that there are vulnerabilities. And I, I saw a list, they listed something like eight or 10 uh, separate, I think they were all buffer overrun vulnerabilities in the firmware on the camera. And uh, yeah, if you happen to have the Wi-Fi and the camera on, uh, it can be done remotely if you're connected to a PC that happens to have the appropriate malware ready to go on it. It can be done over the USB cable. I just, you know, rants that a camera can be hacked, I suppose, doesn't surprise me. That they happen to go directly to ransomware is what cracks me up, uh, especially if you've got your pictures you know, in two places, your camera and your PC, and all of a sudden you've got ransomware. That, by the way, gets both places. Uh, you're kind of, mm-hmm. sort of screwed. Until you pay, all your photos will be in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> they will use poor filters. <laughs> right. uh, the contrast is a little your, bit off. Your, your, the, your ISO is going to go down by one for every, every, camera, every click. <laughs> yeah. Every day you delay. I don't know. I take pictures in the bright sun today. You know? <laughs> I, have actually, I have actually hacked my Canon camera myself. Uh, it's not a not a big hack. It's just you can install uh, software in your Canon. Uh, you're not supposed to be able to do it, but there's a I think it's called Magic Lantern or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know you have to do this kind of hacky thing that you know put something on the SD card and then do a certain thing to actually you know, overwrite or add to the firmware, and then it turns your little trash can button into like the access to all these extra features on your on your camera, and um, so I've done that, uh, but I'm not into it enough to really have used it very much. So, uh, but you know, of course, my camera is too old; it doesn't have Wi-Fi on it. I've got the the T3i Canon, um, so it wouldn't be vulnerable via Wi-Fi. And I I wonder how few people actually connect their camera to a computer anymore. My camera has the ability to do that. I don't know if I've ever actually done it. I just pull the SD card out of it. Yeah, I do put the, the SD same. card into an SD card reader. And, you know, so it's way faster to transfer that way, way faster. Way, especially, way, way faster. Especially, you know, I th- I'm pretty sure this camera's old enough that it's probably USB 2 transfer speeds. But the SD card, I pull that out, it's high-speed card, and I'm using a USB 3 uh, SD card reader. So, um, yeah, it would be foolish for me to do it any other way. But I just wonder how many people actually – it's such a weird vulnerability because – it would affect so few people. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not yeah. saying this is you know a tremendous risk out in the field. Like I said, I just found it amusing more than anything else. And yes, of course, Canon is is um, because of the publicity, not necessarily because of the risk. They're probably scrambling to get the firmware updates out and available so that those people who feel they need to update can do so. It's ironic. You know, I actually have two Nikon's, and it's the cheaper of the two that has Wi-Fi. Uh, but as you say. I don't use the Wi-Fi, uh, and I rarely, rarely connect a cable uh, to either of them. It's just so much easier to pop the SD card, so much easier. Um, well, I mean, t- tying into that is the, you know, the news today, uh, which is also one of those like stories that doesn't really affect anybody, but they make a big deal of it, is um, this USB lightning cable for iPhones that has a, 
a way it's basically it has a a chip in it that will attack your computer um and this was from the you know the hacking uh conference um defcon the defcon yeah and uh so some guy had basically built this and made a bunch of these so this isn't like a you know exploited in the field kind of thing this is like a you know researchers working on this kind of thing we've talked about this before but in the context of flash drives right usb flash drives because USB's got this dumb protocol developed years ago where the computer says, oh, it's a USB thing. You tell me what to do. And the USB thing says, I'm a drive or I'm a keyboard or whatever, and uh, tells it, here's how to talk to me. So you could actually make a, a malicious one that says, I'm a whatever, just listen to what I have to say and I will take over the computer. And this is what uh, this cable does. So instead of using a flash drive that you might find lying around and say, oh, free flash drive, stick it in your computer and now you're compromised. <laughs> Don't do it. No. <laughs> Don't do it. Now you say, oh, free lightning cable um, up, and then you plug it into your computer in order to hook up your iPhone to it and now your computer is compromised. Um, so and, and then make it worse, he was actually using real lightning cables, opening them up and making the changes to them. So you could see it and it looks like a legitimate Apple lightning cable because it is. Uh, it's just been tampered with. So, you know, just one of those things. Use your own equipment. And, uh, of course, just like with the Canon cameras and people not really using cables anymore to transfer their photos, it, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I used a lightning cable to transfer something you know to my phone it's all done through the cloud now right um, i mean i guess i do use it for development that's the one thing i use it for and that's usually like an old an old iphone or old ipad and i'm hooking up to uh my mac so i can constantly be loading new versions of the app onto it and testing but my main one and for normal people you know I just do cloud updates and cloud backups it's interesting i i do connect my phone to my pc occasionally via cable um, 80% of the time, it's because eh, that's available for charging. Uh, so I'm not using yeah. the data connection at all. Although, of course, Windows recognizes it and says, bing, there's a phone here. Uh, and the other 20% of the time is when I'm just too impatient for the cloud upload and download to work. Oh, okay. Uh, the, uh, I mean, I, so I use wireless charging, but you're, you're right. If, you're, if you use this cable for just power, it wouldn't work because it's not infecting the phone. It's infecting the computer, and you're not hooking it up to a computer. You're hooking up to a you know a, a power adapter, right. uh, when, which is I, I, that is probably the main use for those cables. Even though they're capable of carrying data, most right. people most of the time are just using them to charge. One of the uh, uh, devices that I carry with me, uh, they came in a two pack, so I happen to have two. Is uh, a uh, I call it a USB condom, but in reality, it's I think they call it a, uh, um, a data isolator or a data blocker. USB uh, is really just four wires, two for power and two for data. And this just doesn't connect the data wires. It's just Ooh. power only. And it's great for uh, when you're traveling and there are these USB charging stations around and you're not really sure what's on the other side of the connector. So you can just plug in the, uh, uh, the USB condom and know that you are charging safely. Safely charging. Yep. Another nice. friend. A friend of mine pointed out that uh, if you've got a USB uh, power brick, you can actually use it in essentially the same way because they only care about power. They're not transmitting data across the wires at all. Granted, you're charging the brick off of the plug-in and then your phone off of the brick, but nonetheless, the, the, the net effect is the same. Everybody's charging and you're doing it safely. 
Cool. I like it. I actually get some of those. <laughs> Practice safe uh, charging. Safe charging. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in other news, completely different news, uh, I thought this was an interesting story. Um, and you guys, of course, you guys know who Alan Turing is. And I bet you almost everybody listening to us does as well. Um, the UK is going to put him on a 50 pound note, which is, you know, uh, awesome. a great, awesome thing. And, you know, because I mean, the UK is still trying to make up the fact that they really treated him pretty badly. Uh, the, the thing about Alan Turing that's interesting is I, I started college in 1987. And at the time I, was, I went into college for a brand new degree called computer science. And there was, they had just started the accreditation program for it. And there was only like a limited number of schools that had accreditation. Of course, that would grow greatly afterwards. Um, but my freshman year, uh, a course that was part of that, you know, uh, the, the curriculum for the accredited computer science degree was a history of computers course. In 1987, taking a history of computers course. I mean, it's like taking history of the United States in 1840. <laughs> you know, it's like, I well, mean, history yeah. History didn't start when you were born. I mean, there is, you know, there was stuff I know. before then, right? <laughs> I know, but it's like so funny. It's like, so history of computers before the internet, before PCs. I mean, it was like, anyway, so, but we did have a history of computers and it was like, you know, it was kind of thing it was like two hours a week and I, and I loved it. It was fascinating. But, you know, one of the things we learned about a lot was the early, uh, you know, personalities in, in computers and Alan Turing is, you know, loomed large. Matter of fact, you know, you could say he was basically the father of modern computing, uh, you know, with Babbage being the grandfather and Ada Lovelace being the grandmother and all that. And uh, so, I learned all about Alan Turing, the, the stuff he did in World War II to break the Enigma uh, codes uh, from the Germans. And of course, not just the fact that he did that, but how he developed these early computers to be able to do that. And he didn't just develop the early computers just because that was you know, code breaking. He was developing computers and he had all these great ideas and continued to work with them. Uh, but unfortunately, because that was all top secret. And even after the war was over, you know, we had the cold war start right away. The British thought we need to continue to keep this stuff top secret. So he kind of went around anonymously as a, you know, uh, someone of, of intellectual note, but not being recognized as basically one of the central war heroes of World War II, like he should have been. And, uh, and bad things happened to him. For instance, it was at the time, actually completely illegal to be gay in the UK. And uh, he was tried and sentenced to, to chemical castration, actually, for that. And uh, in the aftermath of dealing with that, he committed suicide. And so it's this tragic story of basically one of the greatest heroes, World War II, uh, number one, you know, being treated badly and uh, eventually leading to suicide, but also never even getting the accolades that he should have for what he did for the world, um, you know, while he was alive. But recently, you know, Britain has issued a whole bunch of different things and recognized him in a bunch of different ways. And now actually putting, uh, not only, it's not only just going to be uh, his portrait on the money, but there'll be some pictures of some of the, uh, uh, some of the early computers and things he worked on there as well. And, and those two other people I mentioned, Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace, uh, Babbage first envisioning computers as, the, as a calculating machine, and Ada Lovelace 
writing the first software, even though Babbage didn't actually make the computer that she was writing it for. She wrote software before there were computers. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually have some of her programs today. They still exist. And it's incredible how advanced those were considering she didn't, not only didn't she have a computer to work on, nobody had actually ever had a computer to work on, that she was able to come up with what looks like to anybody who's in software now as software is incredible. But anyway, so they were also considered for money as well. And uh, maybe at some point in the future, of course, we don't know how much longer we're going to have paper printed money. Right. But, um, but at least uh, Alan well, Turing, the Apple uh, card is here. It's unnecessary. Yeah, yeah exactly. So anyway, uh, anyway, it's good. Uh, and, you know, thanks to that movie that was out a few years ago. Um, I forget what it was called, but uh, uh, starred uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, right? Right. Yes. And yeah, uh, many more people know, and it's much more common. It's funny, after I learned about him in college, uh, there was a time early on, you know, before that movie, when, you know, the internet was, uh, lots of things were being talked about on places like Reddit and all that stuff, where suddenly Alan Tur Turing became very well known. People were talking about him. You know about this guy? And I was kind of amazed that people didn't, because I learned about him in 87 and assumed that everybody knew about him <laughs> and it wasn't the case until much more recently. Mm. Um, there was actually, I think at that time, some of the information I knew wasn't really even generally known by the public. It was just because I had these computer science professors that were early pioneers in the industry and the word, you know, of Alan Turing had basically spread through the profession, not necessarily, you know, in the general public or in encyclopedias or anything like that. You know, they had learned from other people who had worked in the industry who may have then in turn worked with Alan Turing. Um, I'm sure there were very few degrees of separation between some of the people I learned from and him oh, yeah. in those days. So, so yeah. Uh, anyway, great to see uh, yet another way that the world is recognizing uh, his contribution to everything we have now. So were, were, were there any questions about Alan Turing on the final? Um, any, any any quizzes? Yeah, any any probably. examinations? And what I'm asking is, was there a Turing test? Oh, was there a Turing test? Yeah, that got <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, Thanks. but we did, we did talk about that too. But yeah, down the, I, I I um yeah. I wonder if they still teach a history of computers class in an accredited computer science curriculum now. And oh, if I they do, so. I'm sure the stuff that I covered in a full semester is probably the first week now. And then they have to get on and talk about uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and, and the internet and, and yeah. uh, you know, all that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Well, to go from the old computer technology to the new, um, the next release of Windows 10 the fall release, you know, they're doing monthly, uh, basically bug fix release updates and so forth. And then twice a year in the spring and fall, they do these major, what they're calling feature releases. Um, the good news, and I suspect it'll be a relief to many, many people, is that the fall release is going to be pretty boring. Uh, they will, of course, do some bug fixes and, and that kind of stuff. But in terms of actual feature changes, major new features to the operating system, major changes to the operating system, they've, I don't know if this is, is an internal, internally driven or if it's in reaction to 
the reaction to Windows updates. Uh, they are going to basically just not change a whole bunch and just focus on making it work better uh, and be somewhat more reliable. Like I said, it'll be, uh, uh, and the, the, the phrase that PC World uses is that Microsoft's fall release of Windows 10 will be deliberately anticlimactic. And like I said, I think a lot of people are going to, uh, to feel a little bit of relief. I know you, actually both of you guys probably don't care at all. But nope. <laughs> since you're since you're and then you're telling me you're telling me something about Windows is boring. I already knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, trust me. For a lot of people, it's been anything but boring. If if you want to throw frustrating into the mix, um, and and what I do tell people often is that, regardless of the headlines, I mean, we know how headlines work. By and large, for most people, Windows 10 works and works well. But, um, the, you know, the, the hiccups, the problems, and so forth, yep, they've been above average compared to previous versions of Windows. And uh, they've been making user interface changes, and that's, you know, been, been impacting the change-averse crowd. Um, but anyway, like I said, I think a lot of people will be, uh, will be relieved. The plan will be then for this major feature-ish kind of stuff to now happen once a year. Uh, in the spring. So, Gary, the, the next version of, of um, Mac OS. Yeah, Catalina. Is it, um, you know, there are lots of, of feature-ish kinds of changes that would be analogous to what Windows has been doing with these lists, with these releases? Oh, yeah, definitely there's a lot of features. I mean, the big one coming for Catalina is iTunes as an app will go away and be replaced primarily by a music app, but also a podcast app and a TV app. Um, that's going to be the most visible change. Um, and then there are a few other things. They're incorporating screen time, which is something that's been on the iPhone and iPad. Um, that'll be on the Mac too. So you can kind of get little reports on how much time you're spending on your computer, that kind of thing. And a few others. Definitely a future release. But, you know, it's a feature release, but there's still, it's just a few features to learn. You know, something most users, I think, can pick up in an hour. Well, I was going to ask if 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 you get as much pushback <clears throat> from your audience. Oh yeah, oh yeah. People don't like change. Well, yeah. So there's, I mean, people don't like change in general, right? And anytime there's a change or a new feature or something is different, uh, you know, you're going to get the reactions of people that love the, love that feature and been waiting for that one thing. Um, you're going to get people that are like, why is there a change being made, uh, you know, kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, you, you get people that just do not upgrade the operating system. They don't want it. Everything works just like they like it now. So they don't upgrade, and they end up falling behind and not realizing that there's features that could be using on the, you know, the, for the same price that they bought the hardware originally. So you get a wide, wide range. Um, I think my audience tends to be more of the people that, uh, you know, want to know about the new features and are interested in everything. But then there's plenty of people that just, uh, they question why things need to change. Is this the version where they're going to start enforcing 64-bit? Yes, yes. So that is... Uh, That's going to, I think, cause a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. It Well, so what they did is in the current version of Mojave, if you try to run a 32-bit app, you get a warning. Right. Saying that this, you know, so people have been getting that. And one of the, the strangest things about it is, People, it's a, like one sentence warning, but so many people don't even bother to read that one sentence. Their takeaway is it doesn't work anymore. So I've gotten a lot of 
uh, people saying, what do I do now that such and such app doesn't work anymore? It's like, it does work. <laughs> it works perfectly fine. You get that warning message. That's it. Um, you know, they don't realize that. They just, for some reason, jump to the conclusion it doesn't work now, even though it's, you know, the next operating system that will make it not work. Uh, you know, and I've been advising people, you know, it depends on why you have an old 32-bit app, right? If you have an old 32-bit app because the developer hasn't done anything with the app, it's basically abandonware, um, then it's time to find another app that will do whatever it is you need because, and that would have happened eventually anyway, you know, 32-bit or 64-bit or not. You know, if they've abandoned it, it's going to stop working and, uh, or be, being compatible with something. And then there are people that just simply have not upgraded apps. So they're using an old version of Microsoft Word or an old version of Photoshop. Um, and my advice there is always, well, if the, if the app is important to you, like if it's, if it's important that you be using Microsoft Word because you use it professionally, then you should be using the most recent version. If it's not that important that, to you, then find an alternative. You know, you clearly you don't need Word. You can use Pages for free. You can use OpenOffice, LibreOffice, or Google Docs, or whatever. You know, there's all these other alternatives that you could switch to and be up to date. Um, and the same thing for Photoshop. If it's Photoshop's important to you, you're using a recent version. If it's not, then there's a ton of great photo editing apps that you can get. My, cons my concern for a lot of people is that it's not that black and white. Photoshop's a great example yeah. um, because <clears throat> there are people out there who own a copy of Photoshop, right? Yeah. They paid for it once, it's installed on their machine and they've mm -hmm. been using it. You it can't, works fine and I don't want to spend another $500 on the new it's, thing. No, it's not even that. It's not that they don't want, want to spend $500. It's that they don't want to spend 15 or 20 bucks a month mm -hmm. because well, Photoshop sure. is a right, subscription right. model. So they, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. Either they're forced into a subscription Mm -hmm. Or they have they can't upgrade their OS because the the software that they rely on won't work anymore. Or, right. or they go with an alternative. But that that's isn't the thing they they rely on Photoshop. Photoshop's a great example. There's a gazillion alternatives. They are not Photoshop, <laughs> right? They they don't do yeah. What but neither is what they're using. <laughs> I mean, if they're using an old version of Photoshop. Then but, they're not using Photoshop either. Photoshop but is, but you they're know, using something that works for them, works well right. for them, and they're being right. locked they, into a corner. They they need to go and I mean the, the truth is so like one of the uh, there's two apps that are pretty advanced, Pixelmator and Affinity Photo, and the latest version of Pixelmator or Affinity Photo, neither of them are Photoshop, you know, 2019, right? Which is like the king of everything, right. but both of them are better than Photoshop from 2008. Oh, yeah. Guarantee it. Okay. So, you know, if you're using Photoshop from 2008, go to one of these two, right? And you'll be up to date with a, a, an app that's supported and that probably has a much better interface, does much more, and you don't have to go to 2019 and pay per month, you know, 20 bucks per month or whatever for Photoshop. You have that alternative. And then there's free alternatives too, even for, for right. photo but, editing. But like I said, I mean, the the... the the way you were phrasing it originally made it sound like there was a, it was an either or and a fairly simple thing. You could get the latest version yeah. or um, um, get an alternative. And all I'm saying is that for some people, and I suspect it's not a small crowd, yeah. um, neither of those, and both of those, by the way, um, don't require a tremendous amount of re-education. 
right? They're basically right. continuing to run the same software or you run an alternative because your needs weren't that great. But if your needs are that great and you are tied into the version of the software you're running right now and that version is going to stop working, you're kind of screwed. It's not, it's not an easy situation. The other question I had for you, uh, one of the things that's nice about the way that Apple has set up this warning for applications that are still 32-bit is that you really only get it once per application. Yeah, but so, per like... Boot, reboot or something like if i were to reboot and then launch one of these applications i'd get it but then i could if i rerun the app anytime i think uh except for a reboot i won't get it again it's not going to keep and, and whoever reboots i mean <laughs> but yeah. it's interesting because i could have sworn that it persisted across reboots but maybe i'm wrong um i definitely have seen it on applications and knowing what it is, I just dismissed it and carried on and, and yeah. being the kind of a guy who's always updating everything anyway, I figure sooner or later, those guys are going to kind of fix the problem. But um, I was just surprised actually at the number of apps, some which would be considered current apps, currently supported apps that are still um, in the 32-bit bucket. I think sometimes you end up with apps that have multiple extensions or extras or things like that, that are 32-bit, and it won't be that the app itself is... I've seen this before, where the app is definitely 64-bit, which are getting a warning. And I'm thinking it's probably some weird, like, oh, this will connect to some sort of scanner or some, you know, something, you know, and it's got that extension, and that's the one that's not going to work. And so it actually won't affect you. You know, the app will run just fine, and you'll never... You never even use that functionality to begin with. That's, that's exactly the kind of thing that scares me. You mentioned scanners. I, I'm going to upgrade to the new version, and it's going to turn out that, that one of the drivers for a scanner that I still use but I bought four years ago hasn't been updated, and suddenly it's, I'm going to have to buy a new scanner, even though it works just fine because the stupid company wants me to buy a new scanner and have yeah, they won't, the they won't support. The, yeah. Well, I mean, you've got the luxury, like I do, like, you know, we've got... I'm sure you have an old Mac lying around, right? I mean, I've got definitely got one or two lying around that cannot be updated past a certain right. operating system. So, like, I've got my my scanner definitely will not work, right? I've got that Fuji ScanSnap thing, mm-hmm. Fujitsu ScanSnap. Right. That's they they won't update the software for that. It's a shame because the thing looks. I mean, I've I've run hundreds of thousands of pages pages through it, and it still looks brand new, and it still works like it's brand new. They built it a great piece of hardware, but it will become useless to me. Mm-hmm. Once my machine is running Catalina, because their software is 32-bit. But if I really wanted to, I've definitely got some older Macs lying around. I could hook it up to that, install the software on that, and then run the scanner that way. Um, I'm not going to do that, but I could. Or you I have could that. buy a new scanner. Right, but I'm not, yeah, not going to do that yeah. either, because there's a better way now. Because just like right on time, iOS uh, 13 actually adds the ability to scan uh, very easily uh, directly to a file uh, from your iPhone. In iOS 12 and Mojave, they added this continuity camera thing. So I can use my Mac and tell my iPhone to act as a scanner. And all of a sudden, my phone is scanning things. Um, That's useful when I'm at my desk. But this next step means that I don't even have to be at my desk. I could just scan away and put it directly in the exact folder I've been using for years to store all my scans and do it on my phone uh, by snapping basically pictures through their their little scan thing. The uh, the thing that the scan snap gets you uh, yeah. is of course the document feeder. Yeah, it's a massive anything over like a, you know a few pages right. becomes a pain. But actually, 
you know, I rarely, that, that was stuff early on, right, where I had all these documents that I sure, wanted to scan sure. in. I haven't done that in so long. I mean, the, I just, the stuff I get now that I have to scan that somebody sends me something for some reason, it's usually a page or two. Right. Um, I just, I can't remember the last time I actually had a. And cameras do a great job. And some of the software that come that, that basically straightens out the picture and all that oh, yeah. kind of stuff. It's just incredible. So I ran into a different kind of, of unintentional obsolescence that had me frustrated. We're diverging a little bit, but um, for the Corgi picnic, I have signs outside and all they are, are, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper that I run through a laminator. Um, it's a laminator that I probably bought about 10 years ago, maybe even more. In fact, it might even go back to my wife's doll shop. Anyway, point being that uh, it uses cartridges of pre, I don't know, uh, pre-rolled, ready-to-go uh, plastic laminate. Uh, it's a, you, know, you might expect it's a double roll, so the paper is basically fed between the two as it applies the, the clear plastic to it. They don't make those anymore. Mm. And in fact, I could find um, a replacement roll online for more than the cost of a new laminator, a current laminator. Um, that's really frustrating because it's a nice little device. And yet, at some point when the last laminate thing runs out, um, it's going to go in the garbage. Mm. There's just nothing else that can be done. That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's those uh, uh, like po new polaroid things that they use cartridges um and right you just need to wait for the uh, lamination nostalgia group to release yeah. you know uh some sort of polaroid like Is, uh, isn't that on your under your purview there kevin <laughs> okay. sorry i don't think it is <laughs> i don't think it is i, I did read recently that and maybe we've talked about this here i don't remember but uh, a third of businesses still have some version of windows xp still running I'm not in the least bit surprised. Yeah, it's the, it's the same thing. I mean, the software works or or whatever. Hopefully, they're not connected to the internet, but... Oh, I'll bet they are. I'm yeah, sure probably. I'm oh, sure they are. So, and, and to be fair, I mean, the, the, the piece that's usually missing is not even necessarily the cost of upgrading the hardware or the software. Um, it's the re-education time. It's the, the issue that I brought up earlier. Um, it just, people know how to use what they know how to use. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're having to invest this incredible resource, an incredible amount of time and energy, which of course always boils down to money uh, in learning how to use a new system. Right. It's just easier it's like, to hope that the thing keeps working than it is to, uh, to start educating yourself on the replacement. Right. It's like that thing where people are, are willing to, to accept a, a, a small trouble or pain over a very long period of time rather than a, a large pain once. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like, yeah, fine. I'm getting this, this thing saying my software is out of date or right. You know, fine. It's not working like it used to. It's, I know it's, you can still use the software and it's, you know, ra rather than like one day of relearning to use it or something, people are willing to. I've got stuff to do. I don't have a day. I've got stuff to do. Get out of my right. way. Yeah. 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 So Gary, you got something out at the DMV? What's going on? <laughs> well, no, I thought this, this is just a funny story here. Um, uh, so a hacker, maybe this was at DEF CON too, wasn't it, I think? Uh, all good he, things happen at DEF CON. Yeah, they all do. So he, he thought it would be funny to uh, <laughs> get a license plate that, ha that 
was N-U-L-L, null, mm. right? And he thought it would be funny, and he thought maybe, maybe just, you know, they'd have trouble processing something of mine. You know, that I would get a ticket, and they wouldn't be able to process it because the record would come up as license plate null, right? <laughs> and uh, turns out it, the whole thing backfired on him. Because what happened was other people's tickets started to go to him. (laughs) (laughs) So there was an error in the system where if it couldn't, I guess, you know, there's something wrong with the the record of somebody that got a ticket, it would be sent to the license plate null and that was him. And he got $12,000 in tickets that he had nothing to do with. Um, So that's awesome. Yeah. You know, you, well, you try to do, you know, you try to do those little subversive things, you know, see where you could push the system, and sometimes the system pushes back. <laughs> so oh, another bad that. choice would be NAN. Yeah, well, I've heard uh, there was a, uh, a comic. Oh God, it may have been one of my comics. I don't know, you know, where somebody got a license plate that was actually like the end of like a, a sequel statement, like oh, the, you know, uh, quote there was an. Uh, there was X- an XKCD. XKCD one, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you haven't looked at this, you, you have to uh, look up uh, uh, the XKCD. Just look for Little Bobby Tables, and uh, it's, it's real good. A, uh, it's, it's about a, a boy whose who's name is Robert, close quote, close parentheses, <laughs> semicolon, drop table students. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for those that don't know, of course, you know, if your database isn't well constructed or your your program isn't well constructed and somebody did have that name it would actually be really bad the formal term is that that would be a sql injection attack injection attack it would uh erase the database so yeah Uh, so anyway cool so that here's so another story real quick we could finish off with is um so you you guys heard of swatting before right you know sure, what swatting sure. is. So this is this remind is, remind our listeners. Okay, I remind the listeners. <laughs> the uh, so basically, swatting is when somebody does something really mean, nasty, and illegal. They basically do a fake a phone call to police, uh, saying something really bad is going on at an address, and the poli- it's so bad that the police respond with uh, a SWAT team uh, to the address. But there's nothing going on at the address. It's it's a bad prank that actually has landed people jail time. There's somebody doing 20 years now, actually, for doing a swatting like that. A Hasn't lot there of been a death associated with it too. Yeah, there have been people that have died uh, because the SWAT team comes in. They think it's a big drug deal thing going wrong, and of course, it's just somebody sitting around having no idea what's going on. And if caught by surprise, there could be some gunshots, and uh, and there have been deaths. So, so it's really bad, and and very mean or very immature people have done it um you know for various reasons and one was done recently uh for the the person that run won the Fortnite championship won three million dollars and i guess they were doing a live stream and somebody decided to call a swat team on them but fortunately that one worked out fine because the articles you know we'll link to the article but the article was uh it shows a picture of a SWAT team at the top, but you, that's just a stock photo thing. Uh, it was probably just a couple of local policemen who knocked on the door uh, who happened to know the, the address. So it wasn't an issue. What I thought was interesting in the story was that the police have, they're really starting to catch on to this. So this is not catching police by surprise anymore. They're starting to suspect uh, when somebody's getting swatted and be cautious and say, this may be nothing, right? Um, and the police in Seattle, 
where a few of these have happened, have actually come up with a countermeasure for it where you can go and register with the police as somebody that, you know, if you're afraid, you may be spotted. If you're particularly, if you're a live streamer, somebody who streams whatever, YouTube, gaming stuff, you know, on Twitch, whatever it is, and you think that your fan base or enemy base or whatever may include people that might want to do that to you, you could register your address. And then when somebody calls 911 on that address, that information appears as the person here has reported that they could be the victim of swatting at some point, And the police responding would act accordingly, thinking that, well, this could be serious, but there's also the possibility it could be nothing. So let's be careful as we... It should, seems like they should do that every time. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that I think part of the thing with the swatting is to come up with some sort of story that you're basically conning the police. So like yeah. I think in this situation it was like hostages have been taken. You know, yeah. so you don't you don't just go and say oh there's a drug deal going bad or something like that or whatever. You come up with such a story that the police don't think about it. You know, they think oh there's so many details, there's this and that and all that and it doesn't occur to them that spotting but the 911 operator seeing that warning coming up and relaying it to police will perhaps, you know, say oh, okay, wait a minute. Uh, let's not be fooled by the story. If everything looks fine, it may be just fine. There's a, a, a cynical part of me that says that really the only difference between the two is whether or not they knock before they break the door down. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I'm sure or, that it, it's much more, more involved than that, but <clears throat> yeah. you know, it could be, I mean, I, I don't know. They could do also, they could try calling. <laughs> they could try calling a number that's on file, perhaps. Right. See, you know, they, you know what's going on, and uh, or maybe just take more of a surveillance uh, mode. So surveillance would be would be the start. The other thing that they could possibly do is maybe I don't know, set up some kind of a uh, um, a signal, a passphrase, a keyword. You know, what's the password that says sure. everything's really okay? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. They could also, you know, the nine one one operator sees it appear. There might be more that the operator can do to catch the uh, person doing the call. What I'm sure is part of it is, is the caller willing to identify themselves or is the caller willing to stay on the line? Um, That's got to be a huge piece of data that would swing the suspicion one way or the other. Right. And it could, if the 911 caller, they could, I mean, the 911 operator could have a, have ways to try to move that along. I mean, if they think, if it's something, somebody's calling and saying, hey, there's a commotion going down at the end of the block, can you send a squad car? You know, then it's just a quick, simple 911 call. But if it's something like this and it pops up that, you know, this, this warning pops up on the screen, then maybe they could be like, say certain things to keep them on the line, keep them around, try to get identifying information from them or, you know, get them to contradict themselves with their story. You know, tell me again what you saw, you know, and, oh, wait a minute. Now they're saying something different because, you know, it's hard to keep a lie straight and all that. Anyway. Look at us solving the world's problems. That's it. We have solved, I think we've solved most of the world's problems today. We've done that for an hour, so I think I'm I'm exhausted now. Our our work here is done. (laughs) done. Uh, The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash TEH 77. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH podcast. Thanks for listening. And we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.